Hi, welcome to Literary Italy. Follow us on Facebook at Literary Italy, on Instagram at Literary Italy Podcast, on Twitter at Literary Italy. Our email address is mail at literaryitaly.com. Please feel free to send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on the web at www.literaryitaly.com. With us, as always, is Anne. Hi, Anne. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great. We're right in the middle of the Christmas season. We're in the heart of it. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Merry Christmas to everyone. Buon Natale. Buon Natale. Uh, we should mention Buone that. feste. If you want to... Probably by the time you read it, listen to this, it might might be more accurate to say, because it, this might be New Year's or even after New Year's. Buone feste is, is happy holidays. Uh, Buon Natale is Merry Christmas. You know what I was thinking? Why do we say Merry Christmas? Why is it... And why in, in England do they say Happy Christmas? Because that makes more sense. We're the only ones that say oh, Merry Christmas. They're, is they're... it clemency more? No, they're both good. We'll have to look that up. I'll make a note to remember. Well, to well what about God up. rest you merry, gentlemen? That, w- that would be. There's good. a comma there. Did you know that? There's a comma. It's God rest ye merry, gentlemen. It's, a, yeah. it's an address to gentlemen. God rest ye merry. But Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, and today, we did, uh, in the episode on Matilda Serrao, we talked a little bit about Italian Christmas traditions, specifically traditions um, in Naples, because that's where she was writing from. But I thought that today we could kind of be, we could talk about another aspect. And that would be Christmas markets in Italy. Hmm. I don't think people think, I, I think when you think Christmas markets, I, I, I think Germany Number one comes to mind, Germany, Austria. I think of France, too. And France. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Alsace, Lorraine. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah the, it's it's um, much more of a German thing. So mm-hmm. not surprisingly, the big the place where you're going to find the biggest Christmas markets in Italy are gonna, is going to be in the north, in the um, Sud Tirol region, which is the region that borders on Austria. So really, definitely that influence. And so the, the Christmas markets will have a lot of that. German influence. My eyeglasses are falling Oops. off. <laughs> uh, but it's not just there. I, I kind of did a little research to find various Christmas markets all over the country. And they're going to be different wherever you go. And I'm sure that even if you're in a small town, you're going to find something special before Christmas. We talked in that other episode, I think, about the four weeks leading up till Christmas of the four weeks of Advent, kind of a, a period of preparation and for shopping for some people, buying presents, getting food, um, preparing for the big festa of of Christmas, Natale. The probably the most famous Christmas markets in Italy, as I said, are in the Sud Tirol, Trentino Alto Adige region of Italy. So up north. The towns of Merano, uh, Bolzano, Piazza Walter in Bolzano, uh, also in that same region, in the city of uh, Trent, Trento, is also a large Christmas market. But uh, also in Veneto, Bassano de Grappa, which I'm pretty sure we've been to, Jim. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Not to the Christmas market, but I think we've been to that town. Yeah. And um, in... In Milan, actually, a little bit earlier, during the Feast of Sant'Ambrogio, 
who is the patron saint of Milan. Um, his feast day is December 7th. So for that, I guess about three days, they have a, a huge, a huge market there in that, in that piazza. There's also in um, Tuscany, in Florence, the, in Piazza Santa Croce, there's a, a pretty large Christmas market yeah, that seen, lasts for weeks. That I, I, I have fond memories of. And then other markets that are sort of pop-up, mm-hmm. you know, and they maybe pop up with local crafts, um, soaps, uh, perfumes, jewelry, kind of things, gifts that you might get, but, um, and also foods. And I would say also, again, local, um, an emphasis on local and organic and, you know, things that are, that are specific to that area. In addition, uh, in that Matilda Sarau episode, we talked about Naples and we talked about the tradition of the presepio, the, the Christmas creche. And you can find those figures for the Christmas creche. Uh, Naples is kind of famous for them in Via San Gregorio Armeno. And that's sort of like, I don't know, it's like a Christmas tree shop. So it's, you know, it's there all year, all year Mm -hmm. long. But during the the season leading up to Christmas and right on up to the Feast of the Epiphany, it's kind of an open air street market. Also Taormina, which is probably the the most famous resort in resort town in Sicily, has a large Christmas market. And Cagliari in Sardinia. Mm. Also, again, emphasizing local um, traditions and crafts. There's a small town in Le Marche, Candelera, which is a also has a Christmas market that, not surprisingly, is kind of centered on candles. Because, as you can probably guess from the name of the town, Candelera, mm. that's one of their major productions. I think I've... Have I covered all the ones I was thinking about covering? Are we going to come oh, back? Oh, yeah. Are we going to come back to Rome? Yeah, Piazza Navona. <laughs> right. So I thought um, today we would talk a little bit about the the market in Piazza Navona because that's, you know, of the, the few that I've been to. I mean, I, I love Piazza. First of all, I love Piazza Navona. Mm-hmm. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite places in, in Rome. And um, so much history there. But it's also just so beautiful. And it is... Yes, it's a market. It's a piazza. It's also, oh, I consider it open air theater. You know, so it is, <laughs> a, you know, it's a place that you go to see and be seen. There are plenty of restaurants. There's the, the church. There's the um, Bernini fountains. So there's there's lots of stuff to, to see in Piazza Navona. And it's something I remember probably about 30 years ago, being in Piazza Navona during the Christmas, the Christmas market. And just... It's a special time. I mean, it's uh, they there are different stalls that sell some that sell food, some that sell toys, uh, things that you might be getting, even like little knickknacks, because it's not just Christmas. And I think we talked about this in the Matilda Sarau episode, but we're going to have another episode about the Feast of the Epiphany because the fun doesn't stop on December 25th in Italy. It just keeps on going. As I mm. said, there are the 12 days of Christmas, and it leads up to January 6th, which is the Feast of the Epiphany. And that commemorates the visitation by the three wise men or the three magi to the baby, the infant Jesus. And in Italy, um, that is actually a fairly important – it's a, it's a national holiday, uh, January 6th, and it's a fairly – important cultural tradition too that um that feast of what's called 
La Befana. And we'll talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit more in the next episode. And if, um, so you would get be getting gifts. You know, it's like it's it's nonstop gift giving. Well, it's and it's, candy and and, and uh, the feast of La Befana. The the Epiphany is the uh, it's the twelfth day of Christmas. Right. So I thought. Uh, Today, trying to kind of tangentially tie this into Piazza Navona, um, I thought we could talk about a Roman poet, one of the most famous Mm. Roman poets, at least in Rome. (laughs) He's not that famous in um, outside of Italy. Italy, Giuseppe Gioacchino Belli, and he is was a Roman poet known for writing sonnets in Romanesco which is the the dialect of Rome. I think we've talked a little bit about dialects and the difference. Well, it's kind of nebulous, the difference between dialects and, and languages. But just to understand that traditionally every town, really, every region and every town in Italy had its own dialect. All right. And, and I think internally, you and, between you and me, we've talked about thinking about it not as 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 sister languages or sister dialects in as much as they're not dialects. We think of English and dialects of English where you may have Jamaican English or you may have American English or Indian English, and they're all dialects. The mother tongue is English. But in all of these places in Italy, they had pre-existing dialects before right. Italian was was formalized. Right. I was looking a little bit, um, kind of poking around online, and I saw someone referred to Romanesco as having derived from Italian. And that's not correct because it's really Italian is derived from Tuscan, you know, more precisely Florentine, Florentine, uh, Fiorentino. But these Fiorentino, Romanesco, Napoletano, um, Siciliano, Sardo, these, well, in some cases, actually language, but these all kind of grew up on their own. These dialects. And and I think that's what happens when you have a fairly densely populated place, but pre-existing. A lot of of medieval medieval Latin, really. Yes. Yeah, all right. So, but with various influences, Mm -hmm. you know, so in the South, you're going to, you're going to definitely hear more of an influence from uh, Spain, Spanish, uh, in the North, you're going to hear more, like, for instance, we were just talking about Sud Tirol. I mean, they're going, their Italian sound has... um, has a very Germanic sound yes. to it. And most of the people up there can speak German, you know, do speak German as well. Anyway, so we're going to talk about Giuseppe Giochini Belli, Giochino Belli, and why he's interesting. He's kind, He is kind of a, an yeah. interesting writer. He's born 1791, which right off is kind of a fundamental year because of the French Revolution. And he dies in 1863. So he really lives during a, a very pivotal time in Italian history, but also obviously European history. Um, he he's born in Rome, but for a period uh, fled to to Naples with his mother. After his father died, I think he died of cholera. Other members of his family died not too long after. We don't really know what his formal education was, but he was um, a very good writer. I mean, he seemed to support himself with kind of minor clerical positions. So like these little writing jobs uh, for, for the, for the church. 
he but was always kind of early on always sort of on the on the brink of poverty his fortune changed when he married a um an older you know older than him but not uh, an older widow who had some money and so that gave him the you know the funds that he could pursue something of a writing career his writing you know initially his writing in in italian is kind of um uninspired somewhat derivative i mean he tended to do things like imitation like poems that were in imitation of dante so they'd be in tersorima or something like that but really where he shines is is when he starts writing these sonnets in romanesco and they're they're neat i mean he wrote i think it's over 2200 sonnets so i mean it's i no i did not read all 2200 sonnets for this and i'm not going to read any of them out loud because they're in romanesco and i i just i can't do the pronunciation i mm. you know it's bad enough for me to to hammer my way through the italian but they're they're funny because they're um so they're very satirical some they kind of they run a whole range i mean they they talk about popes they talk about prostitutes they talk about um poor people they talk about um swindlers they talk about you know the the people in the marketplace the common people they're so they're this use of his this very rich use of this language this romanesco that he uses in his poetry it really brings to life these these different layers of society in Rome. I mean, I, I think it's not, it's pretty obvious why Pier Paolo Pasolini, the writer and director, said that Bailey was the greatest Italian hmm. poet. He didn't say the greatest Roman poet. He said the greatest Italian poet, yeah, which kind of, that's and, a challenge. <laughs> and, and kind of wandering through his biography, it seems that there are a lot of writers that are, that it expressed this kind of like, hmm, this interest in him. Like J uh, James Joyce, I was reading, was interested in Belly, and uh, Anthony Burgess has did some yeah, translation. Yeah, he did a number of. So I haven't done any translation of Belly, and I don't know that I'm. I have the guts to try because because his his writing, these sonnets are so colloquial. Mm -hmm. You have to get the sense, you know, you have to, like, what what is he actually saying? But also, how is he saying this? So Anthony Burgess puts it in this um, lower class, I guess, like a cockney mm -hmm. uh, in his in his translations. There are other translations. Well, and then being a London, you know, being a London dialect, a, a lower class London dialect would make sense to go Romanesco for Rome. Like, exactly. Right. That. Yes. Um and I, I have as hard a time reading that as I do reading the Romanesco. <laughs> you, know, you need a translation for the Cockney. Yeah, I do. I do. And I it, I don't think it carries the same weight to an American reader. Uh -huh. It's something to keep in mind as a as a when you do a translation is who is going to be do is reading this and what does that mean? You know, what is this what is this accent or this um this voice that you're trying to 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 convey? What does it mean? But he sounds like he's a very playful writer. He's yes, not... yeah, and so they're funny, but they're also um, they're very satirical, um, very anti-clerical, very kind of wry humor, but also some very broad humor too. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, very. Um, he has. It's it's very popular, and as I said, it really conveys a sense of voice. 
you know, so it almost like he, so he has three sonnets on the Feast of La Befana, as I said, the, the Feast of the Epiphany. And there's one, and I, they're, they're funny because there's one on the vigil. Mm-hmm. So the day before the fifth. And so it's a woman talking to another woman in the market and she says, I can't believe what they're, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, I can't believe what they're charging for, for things today. <laughs> but you know what I do? I tell my kids that the Bavana doesn't come for another week another eight days actually. And I just keep delaying them and putting them off and putting, and then in eight days I come back and I buy, because now the shop they're, they're trying to, they're like giving the stuff away. Right. But um, that's kind of how I always felt. Like I would just give my Valentine's out on February 15th because so, everything is half price. <laughs> so he kind of invented Festivus. <laughs> he totally, Belly would totally have been the, <laughs> the festival for the, the holiday for the, the rest, rest of us. us he right. totally would have been. Um, so he has that. He has another, which is the the second in this trio of sonnets on on the F- feast of the Epiphany, which is the night, the actual night, and it's a, kind of a dialogue between a kid and the mom saying, "I can't sleep. I can't sleep. You go to sleep. Go to sleep. Or Lebafan is not going to come." Um, and then the the next day, where he talks about um, these zampognari, uh, like I think we talked about this in the other episode on Christmas traditions these uh you would have singers these um bagpipe players who would come to the squares and they would come and play traditional music on christmas or or, and also on um the feast of the epiphany in addition he has also a couple of sonnets about piazza navona and he talks about piazza navona and the way it is it's a market what you can get there um but it's also, and, and at this time, it was also the place of punishment. It was a place where people would receive whippings for offenses and things like that. You know, his um, father takes him, you know, to to see someone who's being, I think he was being flogged for something, for some offense. And when the guy gets whipped, his father smacks him upside the head <laughs> and says, this will be a lesson that you don't end up like this. You know, to, to remember this moment. Um, Giuseppe Giochino Bailey is very much uh, associated with the the area of Trastevere, mm-hmm. which we've probably talked about. I think we did talk about when we t- go way back to that episode on Moravia. Trastevere is one of the most characteristic areas in Rome. Uh, used to be undiscovered. I would say it's definitely not undiscovered now. But it's like when you see those those charming photos of old Rome with the, there's an old Fiat Cinquecento and there's sort of this ochre colored buildings um, with the green shutters or something like that. That's often Trastevere. And that's where he lived. I mean, that's, and that's kind of his haunts. And that's also where you can find the Piazza, Giuseppe Gioacchino Belli with his statue. He's a very, looks kind of like a dignified man with a top hat. And you say, oh, you know, that's that Piazza just below Piazza Garibaldi, which everyone knows Piazza Garibaldi, but there's also this Piazza Bailey. But he's really significant, I think, because of introducing this idea of multiple, as I said, the giving voices to multiple to all the people, you know, to to people of various stratas of of the of the society. Um, in his later years, you know, so with the with the um the revolution with the the revolutionary upheavals 
1848, 1849, you know, a lot of his poems are really critical of the clergy. But when you actually, when he actually was confronted by mobs that were kind of willing to put this into into practice, like, all right, let's kill all the priests. Right. For people who don't know at this point, the Pope had to flee Rome. I I think that it's... And and the, and one of, one of the high officials in the, in the papal cabinet was assassinated in 1849. Yeah. And, and he saw also just destruction of church property. And so these are things that, you know, you, you look at his sonnets and it's, you know, he is definitely, uh, his sonnets are satirical. They're anti-clerical. You know, there was, I was telling, telling you, Jim, about the one, um, Hey, if you want to know how to eat well, just go look at a priest, you know, because they, they eat better than anyone else in the town or another one, a Christmas sonnet, which he talks about this this beautiful procession of a series of of priests and other um, clerics and bishops and other and cardinals and and their procession is going from house to house eating people's you know having mm. one me- fantastic meal after another. So I mean he he it doesn't hold any punches, but it is thought that he became more let's say conservative in his in his later years because of kind of being face face-to-face with the potential for, for violence. Well, and, he, and he downplayed those. Didn't he downplay those Well, he, as- he asked that they, well, he, he burned some of them right. himself, he, and he asked that they all be destroyed after his death. They were not. I mean, so um, a friend of his actually recovered them and did not burn them. And they were they were published. I think it's around eighteen. Did his friends say comedy gold? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. I think they all knew. I think his friends all knew all the time. And I, I believe the friend was actually, I can't remember the name, but I, I think he was a priest. I mean, okay. he's not. So they under kind of took it and understood it in the 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 way that it was intended. Intended, mm-hmm. and um, so they were published. I think it's about twenty years after his death. I would have to check on that. So and that's where people kind of said, "Wow, you know, he was really a, a kind of a keen observer of the let's say a keen observer of the human condition <laughs> in all its in all its glories and in all of its degradations." And and um, you know, as I said, when you got when you're writing twenty two hundred sonnets, you can cover a whole lot of different scenarios and a different different kinds of of people. Um. So he's been, as Jim mentioned, he's been translated by Anthony Burgess. I think William Carlos Williams has mm-hmm. also done some translations. Probably, um, Shout I know, out to local boy William Carlos Williams. I know, um, I know there he was. Gogol, uh, Stendhal were were admirers. Um, I'm trying to think who was the other uh, Joyce, yeah, James Joyce, yeah, as well. You know, who I think all kind of saw this person who was a little bit, who's both, you know, he's got like, he actually worked. I mean, he was in clerical, like he, 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 that's what he did. I mean, he, he worked in that. He worked for the papal states. Right. For, in, in a the, clerical position. Yeah. And actually in his later years, he was a censor, C-E-N-S-O-R. You know, he was a censor for, um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not an electric eye. He did. Oh my gosh. That's like such a. That scent, like electric eye, that's like such a, a 1960s device. <laughs> well, <laughs> that he, um, 
And you know, did, what, what's interesting that he would say what would what could be, you know, what could be published and what would not. And and I think that um, there were some Shakespeare parts of Shakespeare plays that he put the the red stamp on. Nope, you know, there were um, other things that I think probably. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I think Erasmus might be another one that he kind of found, oh, that's a little too iffy. So it's interesting that he is someone who both, it was kind of on both sides of, you know, both, uh, both sides of this, this kind of pushing, being on the margins, um, and at the same time, kind of being able to step back and look at that, look mm-hmm. at the, look at the, look at the very margins from a, from a distance. Right. But an interesting person. So if you, because you see Gigi Bailey, there are via Gigi Bailey and all around Italy. Yep. And you'll you'll see that, and now you'll know. And now, <laughs> and now, and now I know. do. I didn't know before. Now you know that he was really a, an important poet. And I don't think up to this point we have talked at all about literature in dialect, dialect literature at all. Hmm. Um, it's challenging for the reader. I, I, I say for someone who reads Italian, for me, uh, literature and dialect is challenging because I need a an Italian translation often uh-huh. in order to read it. It's challenging again, you know, talking about for the translator. Right. So wh- the translator, you know, you're trying to capture something of not just the the meaning, the literal meaning of the words, but also something like what does this what does it mean to choose to write in dialect? And that's what okay. we see in the case of Bailey. He wasn't writing in Romanesco because I mean sure he I'm sure he spoke in Romanesco and uh, but I think he, you know, clearly he could write it in Italian and he could speak Italian. But he chose to write in Romanesco and that's really where his personality and his individuality mm-hmm. came came through. So there we go. Christmas markets in Italy. We kind of went off on a tangent. No. Piazza Navona. I think that's. I think we should let people get back to their Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Go 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 to the market. No, to the it, you know. But I, I I I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about um, about Belli. But if not, I think we should end there. What do you there say? You go. Okay. Buon Natale. Yeah, we'd like to wish all of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Buon Natale, buon anno e alla prossima. Okay. Vi auguriamo un buon Natale e un felice anno nuovo. Ah. A presto. A presto. <laughs>